Hello listeners, it's Britt the Petite Polymath. Today we're going to do something a little different, and I'd like some feedback. Happy Saturday everyone. We're almost to the end of March. April is upon us. Um, And last night in Tennessee, there were some wicked storms. Like I actually, I went to bed relatively early and then I woke up because I felt the house shake a little bit and the wind. And I was like, oh, please don't let there be a tornado that comes through. And then I had to look up and make sure that indeed I would hear a siren if I needed to like get in a bathtub or something. So uh, I hope that all of you are safe and sound. Uh, So, you know, this is a podcast where I review books that I've read and sometimes wax philosophical and talk about other things that I'm interested in. And then sometimes I just do what I want. And this is an episode of Doing What I Want, but it is uh, inspired by a book that I'm currently reading, which I will be talking about when I finish. So you'll be getting a pretty quick turnaround in another episode soon. For those of you who still listen to this podcast, because I honestly, I have no idea who's listening besides a couple friends. So the book is What Looks Like Bravery by Laurel Braitman, who I have not met in person yet, but who I have corresponded with on social media, who seems like a very lovely person. As an aside, she is BFF with Samin Nosrat, who I fangirl about because I love um, salt, fat, acid, heat. Uh, My former hairdresser cuts her hair. I really want to be her friend and Rishi. you know, here why I, I listened to Song Exploder. I've been listening to that for years. Um, I wish I lived in the Bay Area so I could be friends with these people. That'd be the only reason I want to live in the Bay Area because, um, yes, I digress. Anyway, but Laurel Braitman, Dr. Laurel Braitman, may we add, actually um, runs a, a writing program for um, healthcare providers. And in the wake of COVID, expanded that to you know, patients and healthcare workers um, and has continued this uh, and it's remote um, so you can you know, get online for these writing workshops. And for people who know me pretty well, about four years ago, um, I kind of got this flurry of writing Uh, And I tried to have a few people read it. Some people did, some people didn't. The feedback seemed relatively promising, but I didn't know what to do with it. And it totally needs edits, but I like needed people to kind of help me think through how to edit it. Uh, And periodically now I still kind of write stream of consciousness if I am still enough to let myself do that. And I'm not so judgy that I censor all the things that are coming out of my mind and uh, to the paper or the screen. Uh, it's Women's History Month, and I decided I would read an excerpt, and I've done this where I've sent, you know, I sent the vignette about my best friend who died when I was younger to her family, um, and I posted um, a vignette uh, about, you know, working through, you know, giving bad news to patients on LinkedIn at one point, and that seemed to get good feedback, but I wrote a a vignette um, in honor of some very beloved women in my life. And I thought, well, this is a good place to practice it. And also, if people are like, Britt, you should keep writing, or um, I would love to read what you've written and give you some critique on it, and you actually write, 
or, you know, read, <laughs> um, then please, those of you who know how to find me, let me know. So without further ado, I'm going to read an excerpt and bear with me because it's completely unedited. So I might stumble if I find there's actually a typo. So, you know, there we are. Okay. This vignette is titled On My Love of the Aged. The adage of live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. For starters, the corpse will not be good-looking for long. Also, I find it incredibly flippant of life. For millennia, people really had no control over death taking their young and robust by accident or illness or natural disaster. The human family has some ways to go for the sort of progress the human family has some ways to go for the sort of progress to reach the majority of us on the planet, but we've managed to prolong the specter's inevitable victory for a bit longer now. I really love old people. They're some of my biggest fans. To me, the best combination to observe is little children and the elderly. There's an understanding between the two, an amusing fascination. A lot of adults in my generation and after me do not do well with the elderly. I believe this overlaps with farming out grandparents to nursing homes, since we do not really live in multi-generational housing anymore. I'm convinced that contributing factors to disregard for life of the aged, a fear of death, and a callousness and discomfort with those whose minds and bodies turn on them is because of lack of exposure. If we don't embrace our neighbors and loved ones in the twilights of their lives, how will we treat them with empathy? How do we think we will be treated in the future? I was fortunate to spend summers with my great Aunt Juanita as a young child, a diabetic, prior chain-smoking guard dog of a woman. She lived a very tumultuous life, ultimately pouring out her life for her sisters and their children, as she had no family of her own. She was the glue that kept her siblings, including my grandmother, together. I almost chuckle on my father telling how she came to live with my grandparents. Apparently, shortly after my grandmother came to faith, she moved my father and his sisters to another church. My grandfather was worried that Mama had joined a cult, and he contacted my Aunt Juanita, who I believe was in Michigan at the time, helping her sister Ophelia. My Aunt Juanita immediately bought a ticket to Mississippi to set Clyde T. straight. Hilariously, she met God herself and ended up moving in and helping. She worked at the hospital, where almost everyone else in my family, except for my grandfather, also worked, until the complications from her diabetes became too severe for her to continue doing so. I arrived not too long into this happening, which I believe helped, as it was very difficult for her to not contribute to things, as she did not want to be a burden. She was one of my favorite people. I often think of her now as an adult, wishing that she could see how I'd turned out. She was always so affirming and loving and admonishing. I could only imagine her clutching her heart as I went away to school and residency and on all my travels, a world that she'd never considered exploring being taken over by her little niece. She died about nine months before the fire, and in retrospect, I believe that was God's grace, as I do not believe she would have been able to handle the aftermath of it. Another impactful woman in my life was my Bahamian great-grandmother, Maud Maycock. She was in her 70s when I was born, and we were fast friends. She was a huge bookworm, which her daughter, my grandmother, is as well. My mother tells me this is where I got it from. Mama Maycock, as I coined her, to differentiate her from my other mamas, was incredibly blunt, stubborn, and hilarious. She would visit in the summers, and she and I would read to each other, or she would tell me stories of her growing up, admonishing me to obey my parents, which was her explanation for why she lived to be old and healthy. She also was a chef, and at one point in her younger years, prepared meals for the Duke of Windsor, 
Remember, when he abdicated his throne for Wallace Simpson, he was exiled to the Bahamas. She died by last year of medical school in her 90s. These are just family examples of the older people who hold special places in my heart. I also went to church as a child and teenager, and that church had a healthy distribution of ages and placement in life in the congregations. I was taught that elders had wisdom to share and to respect them. I learned over time, of course, that age does not mean maturity, necessarily, but I do believe my life is richer for the relationships I forged with those significantly senior to me. I also know that those early relationships shaped my future trajectory. Just as much as children are often marginalized in society, so are the elderly, especially if they have dementia or mobility issues. My heart is broken when I meet grandparents in nursing homes who never see their children or grandchildren, or seniors who are socially isolated as their friends die around them and their children live far away and cannot be bothered to stay engaged. It is as if people are running away from a mirror of their future selves, forgetting that they are only here because of the sacrifice of their parents. May I also say it is a testament of the law of sowing and reaping. I have witnessed the sins of parents being returned to them by their children and children's children as well. If someone is neglectful, cruel, or domineering as a parent, it will often result in a very gloomy end of life. My father says that all through life we are acquiring resources to draw from in times of need, and it is dependent on each of us to be diligent in making memories that will sustain us in the end. I hope I'm doing a good job of that now. My career today is in part because of the exposure to loving older people as a child. So there we have it, folks. A bit of stumbles there. But that is an example of the writing I did. So if you, if you know me personally um, or have some way of contacting me, I would appreciate any feedback you have, good or bad, actually, because, you know, feedback's helpful. Um, and so now I'm going to go to the farmer's market. So have a good day. Enjoy the beautiful sunshine for those of us in central Tennessee. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Petite Polymath. We'll be back to normal programming with what looks like bravery in a week or two. <laughs>